Hello everyone, welcome to the Got A Case of Wanderlust podcast, a show dedicated to all things travel. I'm your host Lydia, and on this episode, you'll hear a conversation between me and another fellow traveler that will hopefully inspire you for your next travel adventure. If you enjoy listening, consider following the show and giving it a rating on Spotify, or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave a quick review. It would mean so much to me. All right, thank you so much for being here today. Welcome to the Got A Case and Wanderlust podcast. I'm your host, Lydia, and today we are with a special guest. His name is Jonathan Ortero, and he is the chief executive officer and co-host of the Globe Trotters podcast, which is a podcast that aims to inspire everyday people from all backgrounds to look beyond their own borders, even with limited resources. So I'm personally an enthusiastic listener of the podcast, um, as I believe the content touches on super important messages about travel, such as ethical tourism, cultural education, and just breaking down the barriers of travel. So I'm really thankful to Jonathan for extending his time today to be a guest. So welcome to the show, Jonathan. Thank you, Lydia. Very honored to be here. And I couldn't have uh, summed up the Globetrotters podcast better myself. <laughs> Creds to your website. That <laughs> um, well, you did your research, so that's all that matters. Um, and first of all, I, I just want to congratulate you on publishing your fiftieth episode. Thank that's you. That's really an exciting milestone. Yeah, definitely. It doesn't come without its hardships, but for the most part, it's been a very fun experience and a great ride. We've had a lot of interesting guests on the show. Oh yeah, I like I was browsing through your all your episodes that you've published so far, and I'm like, I want to listen to all of these. These sound super interesting. <laughs> no. But, um, yeah, I wanted to ask, how did you and your two other co-hosts come to start the Gold Trotters podcast? Yeah, of course. Uh, great question. So originally, this idea started back in October of 2020. So it was during the height of COVID. Uh, my two co-hosts and myself were friends. They didn't actually know each other. I knew each one of them individually through different spheres of life. And, you know, throughout COVID, I think a lot of us and yourself included might have had a little bit of, you know, the travel bug, just miss missing being out there and exploring new places, new cultures. And we thought the next best thing to do would be to talk about travel, just so that as we started reintroducing ourselves back into on-site events and, and, and you know, traveling, uh, that we would get people amped up about travel. <laughs> yeah, um, I think you did an excellent job with that. I love how your podcast aims to promote more like untalked about topics and just unique yeah. travel experiences that aren't necessarily like trending or like mainstream what everyone else is like talking about. So in what ways do you think your travel podcast has grown and what do you hope to accomplish with it or like some of the long term goals? Yeah, that's that's a very interesting question with a lot of complicated answers, and I think each one of our co-hosts would probably answer it differently. So I'll, I'll kind of touch on this subject on a personal level. Um, for those that don't know anything about me, I'm someone that grew up in Southeast LA, you know, pretty much a low-income um, socioeconomic community. Travel wasn't really accessible to me, especially growing up. It's something that I explored very later on in life, like my late teens, I was about 1920 when I really started traveling. And if you compare that to my two co-hosts, 
you know, they've grown up with travel. They've always seen it as something that was attainable. And to me, it was unattainable. So on a personal level, what I hope to achieve is to be able to reach out to that specific or select group of demographic that considers travel to be unattainable, too expensive or unrealistic for them to go out and explore a new country or new city for themselves. So by you know, having some travel hacks, some tips and tricks, and having a few professionals or travelers that have been, that have traveled off the beaten path, if they can help inspire them and get them to think, if this person did it, why can't I? That, that would be the ultimate win for me. If I could get even a few people to get out of their comfort zone and try something new. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And that's, a similar intention with my own podcast, especially with younger travelers. There's mm -hmm. this whole world out there, out there, like waiting to explore. But I think in the United States, there's there's a lot of barriers and stigma about travel that prevents and dissuades a lot of people from actually taking the initiative. Um, and so, on one of your podcast episodes, you've mentioned that um, a study like found half of Americans have never set foot outside the border, and you know, it's partly because of the sheer size of America and the costliness of leaving the country. But I think it's also interesting because America is one of the most wealthy countries in the mm -hmm. world where traveling is very much affordable, an affordable thing to do. So, yeah, what do you make of this and what do you think it says about America and its values? Okay, well, you've definitely impressed me. You did your homework. Uh, the fact that you knew we did an episode on that, uh, I know exactly which one you're talking about. Um, and yeah, so what we even found in that same study was that most people that do travel, if they've been to one or two one or two countries, they tend to be the border countries surrounding the United States, so Canada and mainly Mexico. And that makes sense, right? Just very close in terms of proximity. It's a lot easier for people that are along those border states to even drive over into those countries. Now, you touched a little bit about the values and what we as Americans value. Um, and, and that's a very interesting uh, question that I don't think I've ever posed to any guest or even to myself. But uh, I think Americans as a whole, especially with social media, you know, being able to see this whole like vloggers or influencer side of things um, that Americans do value getting up and going out there, whether it's for, you know, personal, um, you know, visiting family, you know, personal clout, maybe they just want to learn something new uh, about a different country. And a lot of the times they, they see things on social media or television that, you know, makes them want to say, hey, I want to go see this in person. I want to go try this pasta in Italy. I want to go eat the best pizza in, in Naples and things like this. It, it could be just one thing that inspires an individual to to get up and go. And, and so uh, I ask, like, I guess I'm interested in, in knowing from you too, uh, Lydia, what, what inspires you to get out there? Oh, my gosh. So... I mean, travel has always been something I've intrinsically been drawn to. It's, it just seems like an adventure every time you step out of your comfort zone and just learning about different ways of living and interacting people you would have never interacted with. It's just, 
it's an idea that's so intriguing to me. And throughout my travel experiences, I think I've I have definitely grown as a person. I just want to continue the journey um, that I have been fortunate to be on. So that's what travel means to me. And you know, like I know you would agree as as travelers, you have your own travel podcast. We're all like mm-hmm. we, we all think travel is the best thing ever. Um, but do you think everyone could benefit from leaving the country at least once in their lives? Or do you think one hundred percent? One of my favorite quotes ever is, um, you know, growing up and leaving is and returning back to your home city isn't the same thing as having never left. And and I think that's very true. You 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 can leave. In my case, you know, I grew up in a very sheltered environment of of, of LA, and that's kind of all that I knew. And then you start going to places like. Uh, Morocco, us uh, Spain, Mexico, Nicaragua, where people live so differently and have different values to what you thought was important growing up or at any point in, in time. And it starts shaping or molding this idea uh, of what you used to value what you currently value and what you want to value as you go forward. So it's, it's, I kind of did a terrible way of of pretty much saying that it helps inspire you to become a different type of person or, um, you know, grow as a person. I guess that's what I really want to say. Yeah. I 100% back that statement. Um, And that's, I love that quote. I have read that. So in what ways do you think travel has shaped you and your perspectives as a person? I used to be um, someone that valued things a lot instead of experiences because I didn't have a lot. So anytime you get that new toy, you get that new iPod, iPhone, to me, that was the greatest thing ever. And then I started traveling around to, you know, third world countries and it started, it, it affected me in a way that I started seeing that some people who didn't have a lot were living happier lives and more fulfilling lives than I was at, at that point in time. And, you know, it, it not only is it inspiring, but it's also, it, it creates a level of jealousy that, hey, I want what they have, which is just genuine happiness and living in the moment and being okay and good community members, um, despite their socioeconomic status. And so as time has gone on, I've started valuing experiences and relationships with the people that I meet during my travel. So I try to talk to a lot more people um, versus just being very inclusive and just very um, sheltered and sticking to only what I knew. Yeah. And I, and I think that's an important distinction between how travelers go about their, their trips versus the way a lot of Americans do um, on vacations. So like the difference between a traveler versus a tourist is something that I've touched on, but yeah. In in what ways do you think you've changed as a traveler the more you've seen the world and the more you've interacted with these people? Well, at least from a planning perspective, I'll say I used to be a little bit more of a um, spontaneous traveler. As I've gotten older, I've definitely become more of a planner, Um, but I still want to keep some aspects of my trip and travel 
um, to be a little bit spontaneous. And by that, I mean doing off the, off the beaten path travel. Um, but, and so I pack a lot less than, than I used to, I used to overpack my bags and, and, you know, you know how that goes, that that's its own problem. But, um, on a personal level, um, if there's one change that I can hone in on, it would be empathy. I've become a much more empathetic person as I've traveled the world. Just understanding that people have certain ideologies and ways of living, and it doesn't make it right or wrong. It's just different. And a lot of times the situations, whether it's the economy, you know, the government, um, culture, people hold on to these certain values or ideas that may conflict with yours, but that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be respected. Yeah, no, I think that's a wonderful answer. And it definitely goes to say that, like, yeah, I would agree that everyone could benefit from traveling. And especially in America, I think, yes, we are a melting pot of different cultures, but do we really get out and experience those different communities on, on a daily basis or a regular basis? I don't think so. I think many of us tend to stay within our comfort zones um, back at home just because it's easy to. I don't think like communities necessarily mesh in America, but when you travel, you're really forced to do that. I couldn't agree anymore, Lydia. And even if you take my situation growing up in Southeast LA as kind of an example of what you're talking about, to anyone that's familiar with that LA, you know, it's, it, it's so vast, it's so big. West LA, I think is what most people think about when they portray LA. So it's like Hollywood, it's the beaches, Santa Monica, Malibu. That's the type of vibe that you're getting in West LA. East LA is a little bit more historic, more of a Latino community. The South has, I think, a negative stereotype that's, but that's been changing for the better as people become more aware of like Compton, Watts, South LA. Um, obviously that movie uh, straight out of Compton has helped shape that image. And even if they didn't know where that was before, they, they've heard about it a little bit more and that helps, you know, kind of promote the positive aspects of those communities. But, you know, growing up, I didn't, I didn't ever go out to West LA. I didn't really interact with, um, I would say Caucasians um, throughout elementary school, middle school, or high school. So I was always sheltered to this Latino and Afro influence growing up. Yeah, I would completely agree with that because I'm from Chicago, which is also a very diverse city. But I think before I started traveling, I just, I didn't necessarily have an interest or that um, motivation to actually explore what's around me. But but now I think it's, traveling has taught me a, a whole new perspective on diversity and the beauty in it. So um, now one of my things is like trying new cultural restaurants. Like that's a big yeah. thing that I've been doing. Like, yeah. um trying different African foods, or I recently went to a Kurdish restaurant in Chicago, and that's something I would have never done before. Uh, But would you say you actively seek out new experiences now, like out of your comfort zone at home? Or um, yeah, like how can we incorporate the, the travel mindset when we're, you know, just in our own community? Yeah, that's, that's a great question, a very complicated uh, question. But I would say, 
just understanding the history of your own city and community and how it's evolved over time can help bring about a certain interest in exploring your own community. So, you know, for example, learning a little bit about the riots in LA from the 50s and the 90s and, you know, what communities were or, or how the, you know, the socioeconomic um, changes ha have happened over time in, in those cities can help pique an interest and, and help explore a little bit about the history and culture of any city. So before I go into any city and that I, that I travel to, I love to look at, you know, not only like geographical um, um, landmarks, but also historical references, what has occurred in that situation and how has it been shaped, how has it shaped over time? And that'll allow me to go into neighborhoods that were probably once deemed, you know, very unsafe. Um, one prime example of this is Comuna 13 in Colombia, which is, for anyone that's familiar with that, it was heavily involved in the narco trade in the, you know, late 80s, early 90s with Pablo Escobar. But now it's considered to be a um, historical landmark and very rich in its culture and arts. And it's it started receiving a lot more tourism, I would say, in the last decade or so. Yeah, you bring up another pertinent topic, I think, which is the idea of safety when we travel and mm -hmm. the misconceptions that come with, you know, quote unquote, unsafe places that the media tends to influence and shape greatly. So what would you say about like traveling to these more unsafe destinations? Like, did you... Did you agree with what the media says? And like, how can we overcome these barriers um, when visiting these destinations? Definitely not when it comes to, do I believe the media or should I have believed the hype about these places being dangerous? My answer is 100% no. I've grown up in a, I've been, let's say I've had less pleasant experiences with locals in my own country or in first world European countries compared to those of second and third world nations in Latin America, Africa, or, um, or even Eastern Europe. So when it comes to safety, the, the only advice that I would ever give anyone is let's don't do something you wouldn't do back at home. Don't wander the streets at three, 4 a.m., alone, drunk, that's not going to end well in the United States or anywhere in Europe. Why would it ever end in a positive way in a different country? And the second thing I would say, which I think a lot of people don't do in my, in my personal experience, which I think is a big mistake, Google the local laws. Some countries are very strict about things like public intoxication or, you know, recreational drugs compared to the United States. And that can land you in a lot of trouble if you don't do that type of research beforehand. Can you recall a specific incidents where you were like, damn, I wish I would have done my research on that. Or I, w or I wish I would have knew that before <laughs> coming here. <laughs> um, I, without naming any names or getting too specific into the situation, I will say this. I was with a group of individuals and we were in Morocco. Now, Morocco is one of the main um, producers of hashish, which is kind of this residue of, of 
you know, that you can find in like marijuana, CBD, all that sort of stuff. And it's widely accepted that it is okay to kind of buy in the streets and, and consume. Um, and so I was with this group of people that chose to like seek it out. And later on that afternoon, after they had already, you know, purchased this or whatever, I was Googling just what the laws were in Morocco around this, you know, to see if they were as lax as, as it is in the United States or certain parts, um, like, you know, Amsterdam and red light district, its own thing. But, um, I found out and it said in bold letters on TripAdvisor, if you are caught by police, you can be in serious trouble on TripAdvisor. It said this, have enough money to bribe local officials. You do not want to go to a Moroccan jail. And that was the first time I had ever read something like that. You know, I use TripAdvisor a lot and for it to be so blunt about what to do in a situation like that really put into perspective how, let's say, foolish of a decision it was to do something like that for this this group of individuals. And, you know, I won't name names and stuff. Everything ended fine for them. But for me, it just really put into context the importance of, you know, researching a, a country and being respectful of its local laws because you never know um, where you can end up. Yes. Um <laughs> That's definitely like traveler number one mistake, not doing your research. And that's for sure. That's an interesting experience in Morocco. I didn't actually didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of people don't, right? It's 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 just one of those things where if you come from, let's say, a country that's very progressive and not as conservative, or state, because even in the United States, you know, what what is legal in Illinois or California is not necessarily legal in Texas or Alabama. So same thing. Yeah, true. So what lessons have you learned with your travel podcast? You are in your third season now. You've had plenty of guests. So in what ways has your podcast shaped your views on traveling? That I am, I used to consider myself a very experienced traveler, uh, very uh, ambitious, exciting, uh, spontaneous. And from speaking to so many amazing guests, I realized I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> anything special. I'm just a traveler who um, is able to get a lot of cool people on, on the show and like express their views and their adventures. Uh, for example, we, we recently had a, uh, a guest who, you know, she's physically handicapped. She uses a wheelchair since, since childhood. And she is now the Guinness World Record holder for most countries visited in one year using a wheelchair. And, and while that feat is impressive in itself, to me, what, was, what, what stood out was her resilience, her, I, her type A personality of, I can do this regardless of the obstacle. She traveled to countries that I probably wouldn't have considered until she spoke about them because of my preconceived notions about safety or, um, you know, maybe their cultural relevance to, 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 to my life. Um, and she was just such an inspiring and, and amazing and beautiful person that, you know, you hear these stories and it makes you want to go out there and do a little bit more or become an advocate for, you know, 
things that they champion. Um, for example, in her case, she is all about making travel more accessible, the, the infrastructure specifically on U.S. airlines, because currently they're not great experiences for people that require or use wheelchairs. And that's not something I was ever aware of or thought about as a person that doesn't use a wheelchair, you know? And so now that's kind of a big thing that I'm researching for a future episode is getting in contact with people that are currently working to make this legislation or changes in the airline industry to make it a more inclusive environment for disabled individuals. Wow. That's that's super inspiring. I'm definitely going to have to listen to that episode. Um, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, yeah, I, I think everyone should. She's an incredible person, and she just opened my eyes to a lot of my own personal privileges, not only as a male, which happens all the time, but also as just someone that is not, you know, does not have a physical dis disability. Yeah, for sure. Um, so as far as accessibility, I think there's there's just so many barriers to travel. Um, and I think that's one of your key things you have listed on your website that your podcast hopes to um, investigate. And so there's physical accessibility issues, like you just mentioned, but there's also just like stigmas around it. Um, so in what ways do you think we could make travel more accessible um, in the United States specifically, because it's just, you know, not as normalized as other parts of the world? You know, the first one I would say is education, just, just across the board. Um, for us as Americans to learn a little bit more about the options that are out there and resources we can utilize, um, whether you're a college student or whether you've never traveled, um, you know, there's there's a few programs out there that help individuals go out and see the world, and sometimes they're free of charge. I'm not sure if you're aware of Birthright or if you know a little bit about that. Mm, not really. So Birthright is something that's specific to the Jewish community. Um, I'm not a member of the Jewish community, but it, it's specific to them that allows them to go out and see um, Israel, aka the motherland for them, and, and explore it and learn a little bit more about their heritage and culture. And there's different themes. So if you're very, you know, adventurous, they'll, they'll, uh, there's different tour groups that'll take you on more of a adrenaline filled side of seeing Israel. And a lot of these programs are free of charge to um, people of Jewish descent, um, just because they want to promote, you know, cultural growth within their community. So that's just one example, uh, one that actually pertains to me and that I was never aware of until I was a college student. I'm not sure if they're still around, but it's called STA Travel. Essentially, what they were doing was partnering with colleges and you know, uh, colleges and study abroad programs. And what they would do is allow you to pay for your flight in smaller, um, smaller chunks. So I think I, I put down $300 for a flight to Europe because at the time, $1,000 for me as a, as a college student was just way too much. I didn't have a credit card, so that wasn't even an option but allowing me to pay in segments without charging me interest 
to book my flight, you know, months in advance made it possible for me to buy my study abroad flight to Spain at an affordable price. And so it's just programs like these that help people um, despite their financial limitations or lack of awareness um, to to be able to access some of these cities or, or um, locations. Hmm. Okay. I haven't heard of that one. Um, yeah. If it's still around, that that's amazing. It sounds like a great program. Yeah, definitely. Um, and and at the at the end of the day, what to me stood out about them was that they weren't charging you that extra fee to use their services. At the time, they were really in the business of, you know, just helping people um, afford. <clears throat> excuse me, afford travel and. Going back to your original question of making travel more accessible in the United States, I'm not sure if you've ever been on a Greyhound uh, bus. The bus? No. I mean, yeah. the train, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, you see, okay. So that's one big difference between you and I, Lydia. I've never been on a train before outside of Europe. In the United States, I've never been on a train. My two methods of transportation have either been automobiles, so you know, personal vehicles or Greyhound buses, or airplanes. Now, the reason that I bring up these Greyhound buses or any sort of a bus that, that can get you from location A to B is because a lot of the times they're offering transportation to a different city, whether you want to go from LA to Phoenix, LA to let's say New York in this case, at a cheap price. You might It might take you a, a lot longer to get there, but it'll be a lot cheaper. And depending on where you're going, that's actually a very good way to offset your carbon emission footprint. So for you personally, what are some things, like when we travel abroad, what are some ethics besides um, the transportation sustainability things to keep in mind um, to ensure we're being responsible travelers? Yeah, uh, I think really the the word that you're kind of hitting on the nail is ethical tourism, right? And I, I think for anyone that's hearing this quote-unquote buzzword for the first time, really what it means is thinking about your travel decisions and how they affect the environment, which we already talked about, animals, indigenous people and the local economy. Um, but I think it's an easier way to think about this concept is thinking about how will I spend my money today? Will I buy from the airport gift shop on the way home? Or will I buy from local artists on the street and carry it around for the next few days or weeks? So by supporting the local economy and supporting the locals, that is a big way that we can contribute positively to tourism in cities or countries that, you know, de depending on where you're at, that those cities really rely and benefit from tourism as the main source of income and, and jobs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Supporting local businesses is like my number one piece of advice as well to be more responsible travelers because you know, our, our, whether we like it or not, we, we create an impact upon our destination and it's up to us whether we are crafting an impact that's positive, like contributing back or 
um, contributing to foreign companies or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. And you know, one of the things that I've I've seen in my travels that I I'm in favor of. There are some pros and cons of, but it's usually when the government enacts legislation that helps boost the local economy. And let me give you this quick example here. Uh, back in 2021, I went on this four-day backpacking trip on the Inca Trail, which leads you to the famous Machu Picchu. And there's this group of indigenous people called the Quechuan, who are local to the Andes and and thrive in that area. And since 2001, Peru made it law that anyone walking in this trail has to be accompanied by an officially registered tour guide and group, so you can't just walk up the trail yourself. So in these very rural communities of Peru, it, it allows the local people there to have an additional stream or source of income that doesn't just pertain to farming. Yeah, I actually learned that myself when I was researching how to do the Machu Picchu or the Inca Trail. I thought that was really good because there's so much um, like incidences in like other places where it's just completely over touristed and the destinations are being ruined because of it. Yeah. Um, so what are some other like more, uh, I guess you would say like unique or untalked about ways we could be more responsible travelers? Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll go ahead and kind of bullet list a few of them that I think are, you know, some common or easy ones that people can take to make sure that they are being ethical tourists. Uh, I think the first one is probably the most controversial one. And so I'll start with that one. And it's staying away from all-inclusive holidays or luxurious resorts or round-the-world cruises. Now, before I think people get up in arms as I say this, I, I want to say I have nothing against people who travel or do these types of, of trips or holiday um, holiday trips. What I would suggest is maybe decreasing the rate or how often you do this type of travel, because I think everyone wants to like sip on a beach in Tahiti and like have a Mai Tai and, and chill by the beach. And and I get that. But, but the problem becomes your dollars are going towards, for the most part, rich Westerners that are the only ones that are able to afford these hotels in the sense that they purchase the land, the property, and are only bringing in, you know, Western tourists versus staying at an Airbnb and, or, or like local hostels owned by, you know, the, the person that has been living there for four or five generations. Yeah. I recently had this conversation with a friend um, because he was saying he wants to go to an all-inclusive resort in Cancun and, you know, being <laughs> the the trap, the kind of traveler I am, I was like, yeah. like a huge part of the experience is like the cultural immersion. And yes. it's just, it's so unsustainable. It's just simply unsustainable to stay in these kind of places. And he was like, his argument was that, well, Cancun's already, over touristed it's already like corrupted in that like there's no authentic immersion that you can do so like 
you know, there's there's no point in, in trying to like change anything about that. So what would you say to that response? I mean, I, I don't agree with it. Number one, you know, I respect his opinion, but I don't agree with it. And I think this is, and we did an episode on just social media and its positive and negative impacts in as it relates to tourism, because on the one part, if if you are posting about, let's say, a hidden gem or lesser known destination, you are going to start bringing people to this location and helping support the local economy. But in places like Tulum or Cancun, where, where your friend was going to go, the more that people start posting about these locations, it's, it's, it's contributing to the problem where you know, the only way that you can respond is you start creating a higher demand for more resorts, for uh, a bigger infrastructure that can support the added tourists that are going to continue to visit these locations. So it's it's a two-edged sword, and I'm not sure there's any one right answer, but uh, in general, I tend to shy away from all-inclusive resorts or luxury experiences for that reason. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm all about like the hostel life. Like I, I'll give me like a hostel or like a locally owned Airbnb over a resort any day. But, you know, like to each their own. And I think it's all about like, spreading awareness because a lot of people simply don't know that their actions are harmful. So it's like one thing to be ignorant of the problem and another to like be aware and still do it. It's different issues, but. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what I will add on to this topic and just because I think it's very important, if you are someone that has never traveled before and if staying at an all-inclusive villa or resort or hotel is going to be the, the, what gets you out because you're worried about security or safety or, you know, you don't want to navigate um, the streets alone. I understand that that's a good stepping stone to get you in the direction to start feeling comfortable traveling to new places. But if you've been out of the country 10, 15 times, and this is still the only way that you're experiencing these new countries, we got to change that up. Right. Yeah, because there's there's just so much more than the little tourist bubble that like luxury tourism paints. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for sharing. And as we wrap up, is there anything that you would tell your younger traveler self um, that like just from all your experience now? I would tell my younger self to especially as you know when i first started traveling i think so and in hostels and maybe you're able to relate to this is that if i stayed at any one hostel for x amount of days you start building a relationship with the people in that hostel and and you know meeting people as you travel is very different from just meeting a stranger on the street in, in your own city these bonds are a lot stronger and I was, I was kind of suffering from like this minor depression every time I had to move on from a hostel or if the group that I was hanging around had to move on to, to their other location. And so it was really hard for me to sometimes just enjoy the moment, enjoy the two hours or one day or two days that you have with these 
great individuals from all over the world and accept that everyone goes their own way and then just, you know, get ready or anticipate the next experience and, and enjoy it. Um, I was getting caught up too much and just being really sad about these relationships ending as quickly as they formed. And yeah, it took me a long time to, to change that mentality. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a difficult part of any traveler's journey is saying goodbye. But, you know, some people are only meant to be in your life for, you know, that brief moment. And just you, like you said, being appreciative of it for what it is and not trying to force anything to like stay because, um, yeah, like every person that comes into your life, it's they're there for a reason, but they're, they may not be able to stay and that's okay. Yeah, and there's this great quote, since I've already shared so many, that says, people are meant to stay in your life for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. Mm, that's beautiful. Um, okay, so some rapid-fire questions to uh, include. <laughs> they're, they're easy, though, and they're fun. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> what's a dream destination in, right now for you? Antarctica. That's been my number one. Ooh, okay. And then what is a memorable meal you've had during your travels? Oof. <laughs> um, I would say in Cusco, having uh, lomo saltado for the first time was, uh, my taste buds have never had a, more, a better experience. It, it was so good. Ooh, okay. Never heard of it. Now I want to try. Yeah. And lastly, what is a special place in your heart? Uh, oof. I'm going to give you two if that's okay. Yeah. Okay. So I'll start where somewhere domestic, the San Juan Islands off the coast of, you know, the Washington coast in the Pacific Northwest. I was there in the summer for an entire summer. I have never had any place in the United States be more beautiful. It's actually where one of the best places in the world to see orca whales in their natural environment. And so every day that I was there, I would see pods of orcas just breaching the water and, you know, just swimming about. And, and you know, you picture this at sunset with like uh, a rainbow coming in the background. It was something out of a movie. And, and I experienced that almost every day for an entire summer. So that would be my favorite place in the U.S. Second, yeah. Uh, second one that I would say is New Zealand. If you are an avid hiker or outdoors person, there is no country in the world that I've ever been to that has better hiking than New Zealand. It is the Disneyland or the Mecca of hikers or hiking. And just, just to put it into context, it is always in the top five of safest countries in the world. And there is no animal on land that can injure you, hurt you, poison you. So you're, you're pretty much just out in nature feeling as safe as possible. And that's not something you can say about most countries in the world. Mm. Oh, yes. New Zealand sounds just so beautiful. I've heard like incredible things about it. Would you say it's a good place for like a, a young solo traveler? Like how is the infrastructure to get around? Yes. And I actually went when I was 20. So I think that's about 
the age that you are now, right, Lydia? Yes. Yeah. So I went when I was 20 and I was in the camper van for about a month touring both islands. You stop over at hostels or, you know, places with other camper campers. And the the country is built for that. So you'll usually see two companies that one's juicy and the other one's like rocket ship or something like that. Um, they're very common. And, and if you're traveling around New Zealand, you will see loads of these cars of just other travelers um, hopping around in this way. It's very cool. Very unique. Okay. So it's like organized group tours? No, not at all. No? You are picking, yeah, you are picking the destination. Um, it, it's just the the companies that supply these, I would say this, let me, let me backtrack. New Zealand has a huge backpacking community and a, of travelers and a huge camper van destination. It's a big camper van destination or wish list. So a lot of people will live out of this camper van that you can rent for a week or two weeks or a month and basically turn your car into a, a living vehicle, which is very, very common, I would say now, but you go back a few years and I would say New Zealand's one of the few countries in the world that had adopted this form of traveling um, for a very long time. Oh, okay. That sounds super cool. Yeah, yeah. I would recommend it 100%, Lydia. There is no country that I've been to that has topped New Zealand since I've been there. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> That's oh, sounds amazing. I really want to go um, one day. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I know you will. Oh, for sure. For sure. And yeah, that's all the questions I have today. Thank you so much again for your time, Jonathan. It was so nice chatting with you and I really appreciate all the insight you shared. Thank you. Thank you. And it's it's a little thank you, Lydia. And I appreciate being on the Got a Case of Wanderlust podcast. And it's a little strange being on the receiving <laughs> end of all these questions as opposed to being the one that 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 gives it. So hopefully your guests enjoy this podcast. And thank you for allowing me to talk a little bit about what I love most. Yeah, of course. And where can we find the Globetrotters podcast? Do you want to do a little shout out? Sure. You can find us anywhere on Instagram or Facebook at Globetrotters Podcast. You can find us on our website at www.gtspodcast.com on any streaming platform of your choosing. And yeah, that's about it. All right. Amazing. I'll put that in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here and listening to this episode. If you can take 10 seconds out of your day, please spread the travel love by following this podcast and giving it a rating. Or if there's anyone else in your life that has a case of wanderlust, it would mean so much if you shared this episode with them. You can find me sharing even more travel-related content on Instagram at God of Case of Wanderlust and on my personal Instagram at Lydia Schultz, double Z. I also have a travel blog for my extra passionate travelers out there, which can be found at godofcasewanderlust.com. And all of this can be found in the show notes.